Welcome to Narrow Way to Broadway, a podcast for people of faith with a passion for the arts. Each episode is designed for the thespian and non-thespian and the believer and non-believer alike as we navigate topics affecting the hearts, minds, and homes of artists everywhere. If you'd like to hear more, head to nwaybway.com. I've got a secret to tell I'm falling in love with you Hello, hello, Narrow Way to Broadway. Um, This is Emma. I'm so excited to be here today to talk about The Notebook Musical, which is a little bit of a different experience because I know a lot of you probably haven't seen it because as of right now, it was just a Chicago-based production at Chicago Shakespeare. Um, But so excited to be here. I'm here with my good friend, Annie Varberg. Annie is a freelance video producer and actor. She has her own production company called Delaware Street Productions. She's also my friend, um, and she's also a blogger for Narrow Way to Broadway. Um, So check out her writing if you haven't already on the Narrow Way to Broadway blog. Um, Annie, so excited to have you here today, girl. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me, friend. Yeah, of course. Um, Okay, so today we're going to talk about The Notebook musical, which you all probably know is based on the movie early 2000s. um, I almost said Jake Gyllenhaal. What? Oh my gosh, I literally forgot his name. What is the guy's name? Ryan Gosling. Oh my gosh. How could you forget? That is heinous. (laughs) Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams um, and James Marston can't be forgotten. Rip Lawn. Um, But- we're here to talk about this and and we're going to give a brief synopsis or not even really a synopsis, but some major ways that the, the show is different from the movie. Um, Annie and I both back up the idea that this was meant to be a stage musical and that it actually translates better to the stage than to 100%. a movie. And you can fight us on that if you'd like to. But um, so if you've seen the movie, it's the similar, it's the same plot, but so basically two young high school, a summer love situation, um, very different socioeconomic statuses. Parents don't want it to happen. Parents of the girl, Allie, they're like, this can't happen. She leaves for the summer. um, And he writes her a letter every day for a year as he builds this dream home that they've wanted Mm -hmm. to build together. But her mom, Allie's mom, hides the letters from her forever. So she never gets the letters she gets engaged to another man and then sees in the newspaper that he has built this house that they call their dream home. And she goes back to see him. It's very dramatic because she's engaged to another man. Um, and then they they reunite. I, I hope this isn't like a spoiler. It kind of is. They reunite, but there's all this drama with their families that ensues. You know how it goes. So some major differences, and one of them we're going to touch on as like a point, is that um, the whole story is in the movie and the book or in the movie and the uh, stage musical is told through the lens of the oldest Allie and the oldest Noah, because they are in, I think a retire. Can we say that it's a retirement home? Is that like confirmed or is it like a hospital? I think, yeah, it's more like a memory care facility is what I think it is. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're in a memory care facility and Allie, older Allie, when she started losing her memory, wrote down their entire love story and said, you know, Noah, if you 
read this to me, all the memories will come back. So the whole story is told through the lens of him trying to get her to remember. Um, but in the stage musical, we see Ali and Noah at three different ages and they're, it's played by three different actors. So in the movie, Rachel McAdams and Ryan Gosling play the younger versions um, and then the middle-aged versions. And then there's an older couple that plays the older versions. But in the musical, three different Allies, three different Noahs. Annie, why don't you get us started with like why this was significant and why this, in your opinion, really worked on stage? Yeah, absolutely. And I also just want to quickly add, I know that The Notebook is actually based on a book. It is um, based on a book. Okay. Yes, but I have never read the book, so I can't really speak to the book. Um, is it Nicholas Sparks? It it sure is. Oh, yeah. Great. Love it. This is like the ultimate Nicholas Sparks, in my opinion. Even though I've never mm-hmm. read him, I've only seen all the movies. Um, yeah. yep. But this was significant. Oh, man. There were several elements to this. Um, one, I think why this is actually meant to be on stage is we were able to see the reality of there are moments where the younger Allie and we'll call younger Allie, middle Allie and older Allie, younger Allie and middle Allie would sing to older Allie. Um, Older Allie has dementia. I think it's dementia and she cannot remember most things. She gets very irritable and she clearly is frustrated that she can't remember. And you get to see the younger and middle Allie sing to her trying to remind her of what is true, trying to remind her of her story with Noah. Um, And that's something that you can't totally have on film. If you were going to introduce like two younger versions of a character singing to an older version of themselves on screen, I think you'd be like, wait, what's happening right now? This is really cheesy or it could just be kind of hokey. But on Mm -hmm. stage, it's, you know, we're able to suspend our disbelief when we walk into a theater And so we've already kind of accepted that we're going to see things that are maybe not part of reality, but it was a beautiful representation of, I think, what a lot of people who go through dementia or have loved ones with Alzheimer's, um, what they experience and wanting them to remember. So that was really beautiful to see that embodied on stage. Another really interesting element that I think we can just talk about having the three different allies and three different Noahs. So I was shocked to see this, but um, the two younger and middle alleys were both uh, black women and the oldest alley was a white woman. In terms of Noah, the oldest Noah was a black man and the two younger Noahs were white men. And so it was interesting, the cast, no, the three Noahs were not the same ethnicity. The three alleys were not the same ethnicity. Um, and Emma, you and I were chatting about how that actually in some ways Again, it suspended our disbelief. We were already accepting that these three people who didn't look like were also versions of the same person. But what it did yeah. is it made it so that we were all able to buy into the experience. It was more universal because it wasn't just, yeah. oh, white alley and black Noah or vice versa. It was we are all we we all have experienced uh, what it's like to lose someone or to forget or to be forgotten um, or to love and that was a, a thing that I think in the theater and only in the theater you can uh, play with those sorts of themes in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what it also did, because in the movie, the whole one of the major pieces of drama is lines drawn socioeconomically. Um, mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling's character works in a lumberyard. Um, there's an element where 
like very much they say like he's going nowhere like he doesn't have money and and Allie comes from a rich white southern family and so what was interesting was like in a show that they could have you know they could have made it about like certain lines socioeconomically or racially or ethnically they could have said you know part of the plot could have been we don't want you to date this guy because he doesn't share the same ethnicity as us or he's not the same race as us but actually there weren't any of those lines drawn which in a way like yeah like you said Annie made the experience so much more relatable and universal Mm -hmm. instead of like the audience only being able to feel empathy for one of the characters um which I thought was like really, really well done. And I think that the I think that the specific choice of not having all three of the characters be the same race, even like the oldest mm-hmm. Allie being white and the the young or yeah, the oldest Allie being white and then the younger two Allies being black women. That yes, it it highlighted the universe the universality of the experience. So it was really, really good. But I think um I'm just going to throw it to you, Annie. I feel like we discussed briefly what we wanted to what we wanted to discuss on the podcast because we're going to go point mm-hmm. for point like we normally do on these talkback episodes. Um, and one of the things, yeah, was this this universal experience. But which which point are you excited to talk about now, my gal? Oh, man. Uh, so many great themes lyrically in this show. Mm-hmm. I, I first want to say that I love me some Ingrid Michaelson. She yeah. was the soundtrack to my high school years. I actually got together with some old high school friends this week, and someone asked, what's an album that changed your life? Whoa. Which I think is an awesome question to ask and also a really hard one to answer. But I actually mm-hmm. said uh, Girls and Boys by Ingrid Michaelson because yeah. her lyrics when I was 14 made me like feel new things. It, they, yeah. it was like – I was like, oh my gosh, someone understands my inner life uh, in yeah. a real way and has connected it musically. Um, yeah. So to hear her write a musical, another thing that I love was kind of an on top of the world moment. Yeah. Um, but one of her fantastic lyrics is uh, repeated throughout the show. And the lyric is, it's sadness and it's joy. It's sadness and it's joy. Uh, there are, I think, at least three songs throughout the musical and in like the finale where that is repeated over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I would just love to talk about that. That being, I think the biggest lyrical theme in the whole show is, I mean, it's just about the human experience. The older I get, the more I realize that um, I I don't know that you can have one without the other truly, um, at least while we're here on earth, like, you know, we're in the already, but the not yet, like Christ has Mm -hmm. come, but his, and his kingdom is here, but yet it's not fully here. And there's yeah. like the groaning and the longing for Christ um, that we experience yeah. as humans. And yeah. it's sadness and it's joy. Um, yeah. 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 I think that's why tears are such a beautiful expression of this. Mm. Because if you just saw somebody crying, like there's really not you know, if you looked at them for long enough, you'd probably be able to tell if they were crying because they were sad or because they were happy. But this it's sadness and it's joy is so beautifully depicted in the way that our bodies actually react to sadness and joy, which is in the same way. Like Mm -hmm. we weep 
we weep tears of joy or we weep tears of sadness. And there's this human existence where we're constantly, and it's not even like sadness and joy on opposite sides of the spectrum. Like I actually think, Mm -hmm. like you said, Annie, they're really intertwined. Like I think in our being, in our hearts, there, there is that dichotomy. It's like we we are sad and yet we are joyful. And it reminds me, um, we've talked about, it's interesting. We've talked about this passage actually a lot on Near Way to Broadway because I think it also really sums up the life of a creative person, knowing that like there is a creator God and we were created to create, but ultimately that our job is to usher in the kingdom in a really beautiful creative way that we are like gardeners and co-laborers. Um, and it's in second Corinthians six and it's talking about like, and Paul is saying that there are like no obstacles, um, when it comes to like God being on the side of the church. And he says, um, you know, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true as unknown and yet well-known as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet and not yet killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Mm-hmm. And when we were talking about for this, I was like, I definitely don't think Ingrid Michaelson was like consulting Paul's letters to write this music, but <laughs> but like that has been named like in the canon and the body of scripture as like a promised part of being a part of the church is this sorrowful, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, sorrowful in the the ways of the world and yet always rejoicing, knowing that Christ is going to come again. So I would love, yeah, maybe touch on that a little bit. Like what is the spiritual element there too that is like we're dying and yet behold we lived. And I think this actually relates a little bit to the memory piece too of like mm-hmm. I think this show would claim that to forget is to lose everything, but to remember is to have everything. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I was thinking about, okay, how does its sadness and its joy relate to the narratives of the show? And for me, it was, yes, one, forgetting or remembering. Um, You know, the whole show, Noah is just trying to get his wife to remember him and who he is and what their love story is. Um, but in her forgetting, he's able to love her well, like he's able to care for her and remind even himself of how much he loves her. Um, and he's loving her by caring for her and reminding her of those things. Like it's, um, it's not like he has to wait for her to remember for him to love his wife. And, um, and also in love, I, there, you know, we talk a lot about memory and the oldest Allie and and oldest Noah trying to um, reconcile, but so much of the show is telling a love story. And um, there's this, there's not a lot of the songs that have been posted yet. Um, There's, I was trying to look up like where, where are the songs I can remind myself of these lyrics? But um, there's one video of Ingrid singing one of the songs uh, that I think it's the youngest Allie sings towards the beginning of the show called if this is love and she says yeah um if this is love why am i so unsteady if this is love why would no one tell me the pain that i would feel yeah even in love there's sadness and there's joy uh even when you're falling in love you are giving parts of yourself away or you are putting yourself at risk for heartbreak um yeah 
so there's sadness and there's joy in the human experience. But when we think yeah. about, um, like you said, we're dying and we're also, we have hope uh, for the future. I think that's mm-hmm. what we get when we are followers of Christ. Um, if yeah. I didn't have the hope of Jesus, I think it would be a lot more sadness than there would be joy. But because I have hope in Christ, those two things actually get to intermingle. Um, my human experience yeah. doesn't go away, but joy yeah. is there in equal measure because I know that there's something beyond my human yeah. experience. Yeah. And that's, I think that's another reason why when you do love someone, even if like it's an earthly love, like a romantic love, that's why like the felt experience is often said, like, I love you so much. It hurts. Like the pain is, you know, you cannot separate it from the love that you have. It's like something in your heart where you're like, oh, like I love you so much. It hurts. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really actually really beautiful. And, And also why there's like an interesting element that I don't I don't I really don't think we have much context for when it talks about like in the new Testament, when the disciples are given the Holy spirit after Jesus has ascended and it talks about them going into these different towns and then being treated like utter crap. And it's like, people are persecuting them. People are throwing them in jail. People are stoning them. And it'll, it'll often say like the disciples ran away rejoicing because they had experienced persecution on behalf of Christ. And I'm like, dude, that's like the epitome of joy and sorrow. I don't know how to even conceptualize that. Like, but I think that, yeah, there's an undeniable connection between the human experience in joy and in sadness. And it's both it, and it's both. And it's not, I experienced just sadness or I experienced just joy. It's like, they are together. They are, Mm -hmm. they are co emotions in a lot of ways, co experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. So one thing too, that, you touched on Annie was um, there's two elements of this, of this show that are like equally heartbreaking, which is to watch someone forget. So we see older Allie forgetting and continuing to like come in and out of these memories. But we also see someone being forgotten. Mm -hmm. Um, And you said earlier that that touches on like your biggest fear. So talk to me about that a little bit and, and just how the fear of forgetting is a part of this show and a part of this universal experience we can all relate to. Yeah. I mean, um, I think for as long as I can remember when someone's asked, what's your greatest fear? Um, Spiders and sharks are definitely up there, but my number one fear truly is forgetting and or being forgotten. Um, I, I will never forget if you haven't seen um, Just Alice, I think is the film title. It's um, Julianne Moore. She won Best Actress Oscar for her performance in it. Um, Jordan thought, my my husband thought it'd be a great idea when we were dating to take me to the movies. And he (laughs) saw the title of that film and he thought, oh my gosh, sounds like a great movie for a gal to see. Like, let's go see it. And the whole movie is about her realizing that she has early onset Alzheimer's um, and she's this very smart woman with this great family. And you watch throughout the movie as she forgets and her family members grapple with the fact that they are being forgotten. And uh, I think that movie for me kind of sums up the fear of losing people, because like you said, memory is 
is having something. Memory yeah. is the ability to to love other people, to um, re- remind them that you know about them. You know, when you feel remembered, you feel loved. And so when yeah. you don't feel remembered by someone, that communicates unlove. Um, yeah. And when you've loved someone for a really long time and suddenly that love is gone because they can't remember you. It's a really painful experience. So to see that portrayed on stage, not just on a screen, but actually like in front of you in a living, breathing way was really powerful. And I think, (laughs) I mean, we're talking about how this is also universal. I think it's such a universal fear to the point where if there was a silence, I don't know about when you saw it, Emma, but anytime there was kind of a quiet moment during the show, the entire room was just sniffling. Like there was nothing, but you could hear people just like stifling their sobs because it spoke so deeply to something that we all share and understand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, gosh, it's, it was, it was a really beautiful experience. I think a, to just be back in the theater was like, I was so stoked, but also I had forgotten what it was like. And I was actually sitting alone. I went to see the show with a friend, but we got tickets last minute and we didn't get to sit together. And I forgot like how incredible it is to sit alone in a theater and just experience what it is like to have a shared experience of watching theater together. Um, The girl next to me, I don't, I don't know, like, I don't know anything about her. I, I didn't know her at all, but she was like, weeping sobbing the whole show and I was Mm. like it's so amazing to have this shared experience with this girl and I know nothing about her other than I know that there is something in her in her story where she's watching someone forget or be forgotten and that like touches something really deeply in her Mm -hmm. and yes it was it was like a palpable and it's it's so fun because it's like you're, you're watching something so heartbreaking, but then like the lights come up at the end and you just look around and you can't help but like kind of laugh. You can't help but be like that was sad- sadness and that was joy to be like, mm-hmm. I'm looking around at all these strangers who I'm just weeping in front of. Like this is a really unique experience, but I think that's actually originally, not originally, but so much of theater elicits a change and a response to us. Like I walked away from this show like really moved and also very I've been thinking about it for a long time oh my gosh so moved Emma I I will not forget as soon as the lights came up I was with my dear friend Kiersey um who was visiting from out of town and the first thing I said to her was I need to get home to my husband Mm -hmm. to give him a hug I was moved to the point where I just thought wait a second life is short we don't know how much time till we have till one of us forgets or is being forgotten or is left alone. It just made me want to cling to people that I love all the more tightly. It was so moving in that way. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because, and this is why I just feel like we have such a responsibility within theater and the arts, because Mm -hmm. very few things can do that. Like a live experience, which obviously like is now coming back because of COVID and, seeing people's faces react and hearing this, yeah, the stifled sniffles, like you said, like that's such a unique experience. But what's interesting is that we kind of going back to this theme of memory, like we read so much about remembrance in the canon of scripture. Um, Mm -hmm. I was looking up some like 
parts of scripture that talk about it. And I found this graph where it's basically like a dot chart. I don't know what that's called, but it, and it has every book of the Bible from, from top to bottom. So it has Genesis on the very top and Revelation at the very bottom. And it's like a graph where you can see how many times remembrance is talked about. Mm. And it talks about remembrance. You can, I think this is correct. I don't know if this website is, is right, but it's, it talks about remembrance 240 times in the Bible. So in the 66 books of the Bible, 240 times. And it's, it's everywhere. It's not even just at the very beginning or the very end or in the middle. You see this chart and there are just dots everywhere from Genesis to Revelation. And I think about how remembrance a lot of the times, like I think about in Deuteronomy when the Israelites are in the wilderness and they're growing so um, discontent with the manna that God is giving them every day. They're like mm. sick of it because he's been providing for them day by day, but providing the same thing. And they start to like moan and be like, we want to go back to Egypt. We like want to go back to slavery. It would be better than this. And basically the accusation there is like, you forgot like what God did mm. for you. Um, you did not document it in the way that you should have. You aren't meditating and remembering what the Lord is doing. Like they've actually forgotten in, in Deuteronomy 8, it says like the call is, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you should keep his commandments or not. And I'm like, dang, like, so we see on stage this remembrance of this love story. And we see in the mm -hmm. canon of scripture, the call to remember, like, a different love story, which is that of God redeeming and delivering his people. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd love to like make a little bit of a shift here, Annie, of like, what, what is the significance of remembrance? Like what does remembering signify about who we remember, about what we remember, about what memories make imprints on us? Like what, what can we observe there? Mm. Yeah. Um, I took a class in college called the theory of identity and oh, wow. it was in, the, in my communication uh, major. It was an entire semester of just reading books about how we form our own identities. And mm -hmm. my favorite unit was on how memory forms our identity. Wow. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of studies that show uh, that we base our self-worth, our, our, uh, memory and identity of who we are based on how mm -hmm. others remember us and how we remember others. Um, wow. So remembering stories of experiences, you know, um, whether they are totally factual or not, I know our brains like to change a lot of details over time, but that's mm -hmm. kind of how we place ourselves in history um, and in the yeah. arc, you know, the arc of our own lives, but then also how yeah. people remember us. Um, I, was a part of this theater community in college called Workout. And um, we would play a lot of games where we played all these like acting games, you know, typical acting games. But um, our leader would, he would basically challenge us in some of these games to um, remember other people, remember specific moments. Um, yeah. So for example, we would play this game where we would have reign of the entire theater building and um, anyone could raise their hand 
it, you know, there wasn't a lot of talking involved, but if you wanted to go, you could raise your hand and walk to a place in the theater. Everyone would follow you. And when you got there, you would say, um, this is the place where I, and then usually what would follow would be, this is the place where I saw, let's say Kirsten give that really great speech from Julius Caesar. Yeah. And everyone would pause and just remember when that person did that thing. And then someone will walk to the next place in the theater and say, this is the place where I saw blank do blank. And what that game did, it like transformed our company of actors because it was reminding us that other people remembered us. They remembered yeah. what we had done, what we had said, what we looked like, how we felt. Um, and it was such an active way to love the people around us. Um, and it formed yeah. our identities as, as a theater ensemble, but also as individual actors, because you realize yeah. the things that I do have an impact on other people. Yeah. And the only, but the only way for you to know that is when they remind you that they remember it. Yeah. Um, wow. My, my, my teacher used to say, um, remembering is remembering like right. the members on our body. It's like putting someone back together again when you remember them. Yeah. It, it's wow. like such a powerful tool. Wow. That's amazing. That's that is really powerful. One, I think that it kind of goes back to this piece of art was that the whole thing is based on older Allie being like, wait a minute, I'm forgetting things. Like you see, there's a really beautiful scene like three quarters of the way through the show where I don't remember they're, they're getting ready to go. So we don't really meet this Allie and Noah. It's like not middle, but not old, but they're getting ready to go to their daughter's wedding, I believe. And we see, we watch this Allie forget something. Do you remember the scene, Annie? Yeah. 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 They're like uh, by the staircase in their home. Yeah. They're by the staircase and she's getting ready. They're getting ready to go and she forgets something. And you watch this actress process like, oh wait, I don't really remember. And it's mm -hmm. so, it's so interesting to watch. And it's, it's, that's what's amazing about the show itself is that her instinct to be like, okay, I'm starting to forget was to write everything down mm -hmm. and to be like, if my husband reads this to me, I will remember. And I don't know. I feel like that kind of highlights what you were saying of like the things that we do, do cause people to remember or not remember. And that's mm -hmm. like a very tangible way, but yeah. I'm really interested about that class you took, Annie. That sounds really cool. Oh, I could go on and on. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think in closing, well, in closing, if you get the chance to go see this show, you should go see it. We yes. are clearly two like major fangirls of this show. It's really, really beautiful. And there's a lot to be observed and absorbed from this show. Um, but I think... Oh, sorry, my computer. Um, yeah, I think to close us, Annie, why don't you share with the listeners how they can how they can find you, how they can engage maybe with your work, or how they can how they can yeah find your find Delaware Street and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you can find my work at annievarberg.com. Uh, that is where my portfolio is and ways to get in contact with me. I'm also on Instagram at, at Annie Varberg. 
Um, and I am I am open for hire. If you want to create yeah. videos and you need someone to produce them for you, just give me a shout. Thanks so much Love for having it. me today. Of course. Thanks for being here, Annie. Amazing. Friends, go find Annie and um, read her stuff, hire her, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Narrow Way to Broadway podcast. If you enjoyed, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this episode with your friends. We release new episodes every week. To keep up with what we've got going on, you can follow us on Instagram at nwaybway and head over to our website, nwaybway.com, for even more resources to help equip you as followers of Jesus and artists. We'll see you next time.